0: you need to have a really good intact tablet so the tablet should be like strong enough that you can it can withstand the kind of shocks that you it has to pass within transportation so let's say I'm making some tablets back in Sweden but then I'll be sending back to Australia so the patient who opens up the tablet should have like intact tablet like yeah it should not be broken but it should not be so strong enough that when you eat the tablet it doesn't dissolve
1: welcome to. It's a material world, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world. With your hosts, Pranitha Pavia and Tom Miller. In today's episode, crystallography and capsules, MSE and pharmaceuticals. Editor Tom here. Quick definition before we get into our conversation here. The term I'd like to define is excipient. Excipient in this context means in an inactive substance that serves as the vehicle or medium for a drug or other active substance, according to Google. Excipients can aid in the manufacturing, protection during shipment, and the stability of pharmaceuticals. A number of these factors will be discussed in great detail in today's episode, and
2: we hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, our guest today is Pratik Upadhyay. So he comes all the way from Gothenburg, Sweden. He is a senior material scientist at AstraZeneca, which is a pharmaceutical company with a portfolio of products for major disease areas such as cancer, cardiovascular and neuroscience. Prithik specializes in pharmaceutical material science and solid state characterization. So without further ado, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thank you guys and giving me this opportunity to talk about the pharmaceutical material science. And something which is very close to my heart and I have been working since I started my master's. So looking forward for conversations.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to picking your brain a little bit. <laughs> and so you, you mentioned you've worked in the pharmaceutical space for quite some time now. So what makes you passionate about material science in drug delivery and pharmaceuticals? And what makes you excited about going to work every day?
0: Well, I would say my uh, this passion of this curiosity started when I was doing my master's. So that was the first time when I was introduced to this course. It was called a solid state pharmaceutics and it was something new. So during my bachelor's, we did study a lot of variety of subjects such as pharmaceutical analysis, pharmaceutical characterization, some laws and some engineering and also like some herbal medicines. So it was like a quite diverse subject. So I was really confused what I should like pursue in my master's and um, that's where when i came across the solid state pharmaceutics and for the first time when i saw the crystals under cross polarized microscopy so that's like property of the organic crystals and when you see under those lights you see like beautiful colors like a rainbow i said so it's like wow i mean they're like amazing <laughs> and i mean the passion for this field you can see on my linkedin profile where my cover page is, is one of the pictures of those crystals <laughs> so even Whenever I see through the microscope, I do like to take click, uh, click those pictures. So that has been kind of like a trigger point that, like, okay, what's happening in those crystals and why they are like they behave like this. So that was like my curiosity, and that curiosity further went ahead during my PhD when I was working with my supervisor on single crystal diffractometer. So he saw the crystal structure, and he said to me, "Look, Pratik, now I'm aligning this crystal in this direction, and you can imagine the molecules are stacked in these directions." So even though like you cannot see those molecules, but yeah, you can actually characterize and you can see that wow, like the molecules are arranged in this direction in 3D space. So my curiosity and I, I just wanted to know more about crystals. Why do they behave and why do they have different properties? So that was like a driving force for me to work in this area.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Definitely, this is not my background talking about uh, the design of these materials, but it's really fascinating coming from. More of a metals perspective, being able to talk about crystals and the way that that plays in as well, and talking about sort of a similar unit here. So to get a little bit more into that detail, in what ways is material science and material science and engineering involved in the science of drug delivery and product performance? And you kind of mentioned this element of crystallography, and kind of why does that matter in this case? You know, how does that modify the properties and and vary the the resulting product that you get out of it?
0: Yeah, so before I start with like how the material science is used in this pharmaceutical industry, but I would like to step back and try to understand like why all these things are important. So we need to understand first is who is the end user of the pharmaceutical products is the patient. So first you think about patient and you have very diverse patient. It could be like small kid to like really young adult. It could be like really old age person. Or it be some different like medical conditions also. So you have to think about patients first, and based upon the patient needs, that's how you design the product. So the pharmaceutical product could be anything. It could be like gel, paste, or it could be like I would say tablet, capsule, solution, syrups. It could be inhalers, medical devices. So there are like wide range of products, and you can see that. Let's so say you have solutions, you have gels and paste. So when you apply different engineering principles. Let's say viscosity, solubility and when it comes to powders of course powder handling is like really important so material science do play a big role in devising or like informating these products, and it's mostly ultimately depends upon which kind of product you're designing
1: and so you know in particular you know we talk about a lot of times when we're modifying the properties of materials modifying those properties kind of like dials or knobs or, or or something like that and so What are those specific materials phenomena that you can kind of dial in on as a scientist that need to be consistently considered in this pharmaceutical field?
0: So I would start talking about the powders and handling of the powders. That's where my specialization is, and that's where I've been working a lot. So let's consider. So when we talk about powders, it's not just like powder handling. We have to look at the different physicochemical properties of the drug substance. It could be solubility, it could be particle size, it could be mechanical properties, powder flow. So for example, let's talk about sand and salt. So sand is like really nice material. It flows very well, and of course, salt. But you can see that salt is very soluble in water, but you cannot dissolve sand. And if you want to make any tablets out of sand, you cannot make out of sand. <laughs> so you can see the challenge. So that's kind of like the challenges you always get in the pharmaceutical industry, that you get variety of like medicine. And let's take about the wheat flour. So wheat flour, I would say like it's really not good in powder flow. So you need to improve the powder flow properties. So you have to look at, you know, you make granules, you make different properties. You modify those properties where you have an like optimum powder flow. So those are like kind of process parameters that you always keep on checking and you can characterize those properties.
1: And so there are definitely other fields, especially in like powder metallurgy and, and things like that, where you have similar considerations. So speaking to some of those similarities, you know, how are some of the principles of drug delivery and, you know, powder handling in this space, Similar to other subfields of material science.
0: Yeah, we do borrow a lot of concepts from the different areas. Let's say you talk about powder metallurgy. So one of the important parameters in making tablets is the mechanical properties. So I talked about hmm. sand. I mean, you cannot make tablet out of sand. So you need to understand why and how you can make it. So most of the mechanical properties uh, concepts are borrowed from metallurgy, and even writing, like many times I open the chemical engineers' textbooks. I also read about the metallurgy slip planes and other other properties because those are like some of the borrowed properties that we always revisit and it's just not in that area so now if you look at the pharmaceutical literature that apart from organic crystals there's a trend of using amorphous systems also so there's a the use of amorphous drugs and most of the characterization techniques or the equations that you see in the books or in the literature that are borrowed from the rubbers so even though like there is a difference between those two systems but yeah some of those concepts are also borrowed from different applications
1: just a quick follow-up there, when you say amorphous drugs, you know what does that, what does that mean in this context and how does that differ from um, some of these crystalline drugs that you were talking about earlier?
0: So when you talk about crystalline materials, you can imagine kind of an array of molecules arranged in a periodic fashion in three-dimensional space. Let's say you think about diamond, like it's like tetragonal structure around it, like in perfect space. But in amorphous there is no kind of 3D structure. So it's it's not an order system, but it's a kind of more disorder systems that we that you use. And there are certain benefits with disorder systems is that you have higher free energy, you get higher solubility. And solubility is one of the biggest parameters in the pharmaceutical industry that yeah, the drug has to dissolve. I mean, you can imagine if you eat sand, it's not going to dissolve, but it won't be a good time to... either way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So essentially, you know, having an amorphous drug, you may see benefits in terms of solubility and that sort of thing, which, yeah. okay,
0: cool. But then also like, um, when you talk about amorphous system also they come with kind of some disadvantages such as uh, instability because this is like high energy system. Yeah. So they tend to go back to their normal state which is kind of crystallizing back with time. So okay. in most cases you add a lot of excipients. So, well, excipient is a word that we commonly use in pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, so when, when you talk, when you think about like tablet capsules or anything, it's just not the drug is present. There are a lot of additives we have to add. So when you talk about, like, say, let's say paracetamol or ibuprofen in a tablet, that would be like 100 milligram, 200 milligram. And if I give you 100 milligram, 200 milligram powder, it's quite difficult to handle. You wouldn't, yeah. like, try to take a spoon of 100 milligram and just eat it. You would, like... <laughs> you need to add, you need to make up some bulk where you can handle those powders quite well. And that's where we add a lot of excipients. So it's not just only properties of the medicines or the drugs that's really important it's also the additives that you are going to add and some of the additives have like different functions also so yeah it's it's a lot
2: yeah that is a lot to consider can we take a step back real quick you mentioned the importance of mechanical properties that's kind of what you t- what you mentioned when taking into consideration powder metallurgy. So I was just wondering why are the mechanical properties so important to consider when making these tablets? Like what are the things that you're looking at?
0: Well, th- there are many aspects when we talk about mechanical properties. So first one is that the you need to have a really good intact tablet. So the tablet should be like strong enough that you can it can withstand the kind of shocks that you it has to pass within in transportation. So let's say I'm making mm-hmm. some tablets back in Sweden but then I'll be sending back to Australia. So the patient who opens up the tablet, it should have like intact tablet. Like, yeah, It should not be broken. But it should not be so strong enough that when you eat the tablet, it doesn't dissolve. It has okay. to break up. It has to release uh, those properties. There are a lot of factors that are involved in the mechanical properties. And another analogy another, another I can use is about the crystallography where you think about diamond versus uh, graphite. So that's like one of the most common phenomena the uh, information industry has been investigating is the polymorphism. So mm-hmm. if you open the papers uh, or the research papers, I think they date back in like, like late 1800s, where there was kind of phenomenon of polymorphism. So when you talk about the carbon, it's called allotropes. So carbon has mm-hmm. two allotropes, that is called so graphite and diamond. And diamond is like really hard, but when you talk about graphite, it's really soft. And that's like, I'm quite always fascinated, the answer like in the crystal structure. And that's just such properties that you evaluate of individual excipients or even drugs. And that's how you combine those properties to make optimum tablet.
2: It's like the the Goldilocks range that we kind of mentioned in another episode, right? You can't have it too hard, but you can't have it too soft. It has to be able to be breakable, but still be wear resistant enough to make it through transport
0: yeah and of course you might have seen different type of tablets that we coat different tablets like red blue green yellow colors to make it like more elegant i mean there are like certain reasons of like coating those tablets and then when you're coating the tablets also the tablet shouldn't break so there are like a lot of factors involved when you're going to make a tablet it's just not you just go there and just make a
1: tablet (laughs) right Hey, just squish the powder together. It's, it's a lot more sophisticated than that. That's yeah. why you have a job right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but talking a little bit about this polymorphism thing, it, that sounds like that's another you know knob you can turn, another parameter you can modify in terms of the chemical structure of the drug to deliver different properties to the patients in terms of the effect on the body and that sort of thing.
0: I would say polymorphism has a kind of a big impact on the performance of the crystals or the, of the powder. Mm-hmm. And I would say there are like really nice, good books, which describes about the effect of polymorphism. I mean, it has effect on the solubility, on the stability, and also some of the crystals could be electrostatic. You don't want to have electrostatic materials. We just like keep on jumping around. <laughs> so- <laughs> Of course we do also check like the electrostatic properties of the materials. Yeah, so polymorphism has a really big impact on the physical properties of the crystals.
1: It sounds like this is really an area that has, you know, so many different parameters and so many different variables that go into it like I guess probably any scientific principle really, but in an earlier discussion preparing for this episode you had mentioned that sometimes you're given a combination of multiple drugs in the form of a powder. And your task as a material scientist is to find a way to form them into one tablet. And as you mentioned earlier in this episode, that that isn't trivial, right? That's not something that's easy. It's, it takes a lot of expertise and a lot of fine-tuning to get right. Can you give us an example of when multiple drugs are combined for a certain biomedical application and why this would be necessary?
0: When you talk about the combination of the drugs, it's commonly, the common term is used is called as fixed-dose combinations. So when you combine two drugs you can imagine that you cannot change a lot of dose of the tablets but you have to keep it like fixed after those different drugs and there are many reasons for like combining different drugs it could be like two drugs can have give a synergistic effect to a kind of medical application or it could be one drug can like negate the like side effects of the other drug so there are like different reasons why you want to combine two different drugs also but you cannot just simply mix two drugs (laughs) so (laughs) The so first thing uh, would be like to check the stability, are they compatible with each other? It could be that they're like chemically unstable or that could be some solid state reactions happening between them. And one of the most common phenomenon is called a eutectic system also. So I don't know if you might have heard about those.
1: Could you pick apart that term eutectic and what that means in that context?
0: So for eutectic system, it's more about when you try to mix two different drugs that there's a depression in the melting point and can have a direct effect on the solubility or the physical state of the materials could be because of the decrease in the melting point it becomes become more hygroscopic or it could alter the mechanical properties of the powder. So you cannot just simply mix the two drugs and you have to check a lot of drug-drug interactions, I would say in the physical and the chemical state.
2: So you said hydroscopic, what does that mean?
0: So hygroscopic is means that some of the drugs or the medicines, they take up moisture from the environment. When you leave the powders outside, I would say like salt, when you leave it out in the moisture like in higher humidity conditions it will take up moisture it will become like a more aggregates and more hard material
1: did you have more of a point to add about the uh, combining powders and the eutectic thing
0: I just wanted to mention that you can just simply mix two drugs you have to look at the different physical properties if there is any compatibility and also if they are really good then yeah you can mix them but if you cannot then there is called bilayer tablets you might have seen some tablets which are like yellow in the bottom but pink on the top oh yeah that is mm-hmm. like Even though they're like two different drugs, but they are combined and make as a bilayer tablet. So there has been like a recent advances and you can make like a fixed dose combination in different ways.
2: How is that different from just combining them both into the same tablet? Like what are the differences there?
0: The difference is that they are not physically, you're not mixing them together because you know that there could be some reasons for instability between the two APIs. Uh, API is like common term we use called active pharmaceutical ingredient, which is another name for the drug or the medicines. So it could be the reason that you don't want to have that one, or it could be because of the process where one, we have like good powder flow, there's like bad powder flow. There could be various reasons that you can make a value of tablets.
2: But wouldn't they interact with each other once they're ingested, once they're taken? the body
0: yeah so that's kind of analytical work that has to be done before so when i talked about the drug drug chemical interactions and instabilities that's the thing that you always check and before you always find form- formulate you do a lot of trials and you check the stability so yeah of course when you talk about tablets you cannot just directly like make and ship them you need to check the stability and that's how yeah. the shelf life comes into picture of the tablets and you check the stability of the tablets with period of time and yeah if and that's how you the shelf life or to expiry date of those products.
1: And so I think you had started to allude to some of them, but from a material science perspective, what are some of those challenges that are present in forming these capsules, these tablets with different drug powders? I um, mean, you had mentioned this point about eutectics, which is a term that we're familiar with from you know metallurgy and ceramic engineering. But does you know is the eutectic reaction that's occurring between these two powder systems is that? a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Or is it potentially a little bit of both depending on what you want?
0: It could be both if you look at the (laughs) literature. (laughs) So it is quite hard to generalize because we have different drugs and different interactions. And you know, most of the organic crystals, they have like different functional groups like carboxylic acid group, hydroxyl groups. They might interact at solid state also. So it's quite hard to say, but if you look at the literature, there are like certain benefits of the system is that you have improved solubility. And there has been some a few papers where they, they look at the microstructure of the eutectic systems, where uh, if, if you look at the analogy of the graphite and diamond, where graphite has like planes which can slide over each other, which it makes it really soft. So there has been some instances where people have found out that the microstructure has helped to in, improve the tabletic properties than the parent drug.
1: And then also, are there other challenges that exist, you know, broadly speaking about forming these tablets from a material science perspective as well?
0: Well, yeah, it's not really easy. So, well, <laughs> let's go many years back. So first, the tablet is made using a called tablet press. The instrument is called tableting machine. It's called rotary tablet press. And the first patent that was somewhere between 1850 somewhere, where they got the first patent on how to make tablets. And you can imagine during those times, it would be like more hand processed. that you put the powder in, you make tablets. You just like put one, press one and it's like single tablet press. So you can see it's like very labor intensive. <laughs> but the advantage is that you can handle those powder quite easily because you're handling with a spoon, you can work with your fingers, you can fill in. It's really easy, but it's not a high throughput. But now with new instruments, you can make few thousand tablets in just in one hour. It's really wow. high throughput. It can go really fast. And to have that really robust process, you need to have a better understanding and control of your materials and your process. So more specifically, I would say the powder flow because you have like large bins where you put your powders, it has to flow very well. And also when you mix the powders, the mixing is also really important because you need to have a good uniformity of the materials. So imagine you take one tablet which has like 10 milligrams and another one has like 20 milligrams. You don't want to have that one. You want to have like uniform dose in all the tablets. So mixing is also really important in those cases. So tablet production starts like first by mixing. So you have different drugs and different additives. You mix in different blends, and you always keep check that you have get a homogeneous blend. And once you have the homogeneous blend, then the next step is either you granulate. Let's say, for example, the mixture doesn't flow well. So what you cannot make like tablets at very high speed. You need to improve the density or the powder flow. So one of the most common way is by granulating. So you add some liquid and granulate and you make like larger particle size, you increase the density of the particles and you have get better flow. Or maybe you can just make dry granulation because there could be some instances where your material is sensitive with the solvent. You cannot use water or some other organic solvents. So you need to make kind of dry granules. And then you use those dry granules to make tablets. So there are like different steps involved when you make a final tablet. And each is governed by the material properties and the process parameters.
1: I had no idea there was so much material science that played into all this. That's really, really, really cool. So my other question here is, you know, why is material science so useful as a a paradigm and as a thought process in handling these challenges and finding out how to manufacture these tablets more precisely and more effectively at this point? Bulk scale, which is required for modern commercial applications, can you talk a little bit more about the material properties and you know, how having really tight powder control can affect crystallography and maybe some of the phases that play a crucial role in solving the pieces of this very complex puzzle that you that you've put out in front of us
0: here? So there are a lot of aspects involved when you want to make tablets. It's just not crystallography, and there are like few characterization techniques that's often used. So one of the most often used characterization techniques is the powder flow particle size distribution because milling of the air of the drug is kind of like routine process being done in the uh, pharmaceutical space because you know that when you reduce the particle size you increase the surface energy and you increase the dissolution and the solubility but then there is kind of a problem where it comes with the powder flow or the aggregation of high surface energy so that like different is also associated with the particle size so to have a robust process you need to characterize different material properties such as mechanical properties powder flow particle size distribution and once you have better control on such processes then you have like the robust process and when you talk about the crystallography so i I mentioned the analogy between the allotropes of carbon that is like the phenomena of polymorphisms and one of the effect is the crystal shape you can imagine you have like needle shaped crystals which Mm -hmm. is quite well known in the literature that they have like really poor flow so people use the application of crystal engineering, which is like one of the side process of the material science. In the crystal engineering process, you try to look at the crystal structure, look at the interactions between the molecules and try to predict that how the crystals crystallize in different shapes. And such crystal shapes can have pronounced effect on the dissolution rate, also on the particle morphology, on the mechanical properties. And let's say I know the crystal structure, I know the interactions in particular directions, and I know that that's reason why it's giving needle-shaped crystals. Then, by using some additives, I would modify the shape or the, the shape of the crystals. But it's like one of the it's one of the way to modify the properties of materials. So just Google about the crystal engineering, and you will get a lot and lot of article literature that how you can modify the properties of the organic crystals.
2: That was super informative. And you know, speaking of, of literature, we actually read through a couple research papers, and it seems as if there is continuously growing interest in achieving both an improvement in safety and quality of medications in general, but also cutting the cost of manufacturing through more structured approaches. So in your opinion, how can the versatility of material science and engineering offer efficient solutions to both of these overarching goals?
0: So I would say that to have a more robust process, first, you need to understand how your material is behaving in different processes and what is your material performance and how the properties of material is affected. It could be particle size, it could be shape, it could be moisture conditions, it could be humidity, a lot of factors. So once you know your materials better, then actually they can perform quite well during the process. And the most common way of manufacturing of the form products product is the batch process. So you might have seen like we take the powder we mix and then we granulate and then we make tablets but now there's an emerging trend coming up about the continuous manufacturing we just put the materials from one side and then you get the tablets out it's like a continuous process and when you want to have a continuous processing you need to have a good understanding of the process and the material behaviors so i think that's going to help a lot of like releasing mode of like experiments and best to batch variations and the processes <laughs>
1: And so talking about the future of of this field, you know, what role does nanotechnology have in advancing drug design and delivery and what characteristics of nanoparticles make them so appealing to this pharmaceutical
0: industry? Well, uh, I'm not an expert in the nanotechnology area, but I can tell you something about the recent trends or the kind of literature which I have been following. Also, is that there is a great interest in the nanotechnology, especially there are different you call it tablet capsules or like conventional ones, but for nanotechnology they have special words called as liposomes, exosomes, dendrimers, carbon nanotubes. So there has been a lot of interest in using those technologies or dosage forms for the drug delivery and. One of the benefits I see is that the drug is enclosed in kind of the lipid molecules. So we have like more targeted delivery. So in, in, let's say, in tablet and capsules, you take tablet, it goes in stomach, it gets absorbed in the blood, and then it goes to the site of action. Let's say like maybe somewhere in the pain in your legs or something like that. But right. in case of the nanotechnology, you have like more targeted drug delivery. So drug delivery means that You coat those nanoparticles with some special polymers or some functional excipients, and it goes directly and binds to the site of action. It could be somewhere in your brain or heart or lungs. So you deliver your drug specifically to one site. So there's like certain benefits you will have. You reduce some of the dose. So I'm not an expert, but yeah, these are like some of the benefits that you can have. But of course, it's not easy to formulate them as far as I know they come with like really big challenges.
1: And so just a quick follow-up to that. You said this term, functional excipients in the context of binding polymers to these nanoparticles. Could you just define that term for us and what exactly does that mean?
0: Well, it's not in my area of expertise, but they use the term called functionalized, which means like it's more active and it tries to find the active site of binding. So Hmm. it's called functionalizing means that let's say you have like just a liquid layer and you functionalize by like putting some kind of specific functional groups on the top of those surfaces. So it's the it's body or the kind of like the organ can identify those particles and it just binds specifically to that site. So I think that's what like it means about functionalization.
2: That makes sense. I think I've, I've written a few papers about just different nanoparticles and they usually functionalize it in order to make it more biocompatible for like gold nanoparticles, for example. So it seems like you always need to attach something onto a nanoparticle to make sure that it, um, achieves its specific applications.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's correct. And I think that that's what the functionalization means that like you, it's like more inert and it could be uh, taken up by any site of, or any organ,
2: yeah. but then you function
0: yeah. with specific kind of polymers or some chemical entities. And it's like, it's more specific to that for that organ.
2: So let's transition back to more of your expertise and just your opinion in general. What do you think the future of drug delivery product design looks like in this pharmaceutical space? And how can that future be achieved by applying the paradigms and principles of material science and engineering?
0: Well, the, the field has been quite evolving a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that the first the patent on the tablet machine was in 1850 somewhere. But then, from that, it evolved to like a rotary tablet press, where you have like tablets made at really like very high speed, and that was like a batch process. And now it has involved continuous manufacturing. So I think it's a kind of a gradual evolving, and it's just not continuous manufacturing. But people I have seen like people have been trying the continuous customization also. So process has been evolving, and of course, the, the materials that you use or that you have been using for the batch process may or may not work for the continuous processing. So you need to upgrade your own materials and uh, your additives maybe they they don't fit for that purpose and then you need to make them smart you need to make those excipients more smart in a way that they can be handled in both ways imagine like if i'm using one of the materials which is like more specific batch but i cannot use in the other one then i need to make those materials more smart so it could be like co-process excipients where you mix two excipients or two additives together where you get like some more better qualities So yes, material science, and and that's where the crystal engineering principles also come into the picture, where you try to develop a smart APIs, where you try to modify the properties of API from the starting based upon your need, what you need.
2: Can you define smart materials in this specific context? I know that they're generally materials that can respond to External stimuli, and then they can change their geometries or their properties in some way. How is that applicable in this drug and pharmaceutical area?
0: Well, I have just talked about only like tablet and capsules, but when you talk I talk about advancement, there is a great interest in additive manufacturing. It's also mm-hmm. called three D printing. And <laughs> Thomas got super just... excited there. <laughs> 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 One of
1: my favorite areas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you, if you try to like do a literature search, there is a been great interest in the 3D printing or it, it's, it's called as LED manufacturing and also a concept called personalized medicines. Mm. So it's a kind of uh, emerging trend and people have been like talking ab- more about that one. And when you think, talk about like 3D printing, then yeah, polymers play a role because you have to pass through kind of heated filament and then you have to melt. But then you see there's a limitation that, you cannot heat everything; it might yeah. degrade. Yeah. So, so there is always a, like uh, benefits and disadvantages like associated, but that's where like the other materials can come into the picture.
1: I wasn't expecting to get into additive <laughs> manufacturing at all in this episode.
0: So you know, always always fun when we do. Um... And one more thing is that yeah. I mean, so far we have been just talking about tablet and capsules, and that's uh, additive manufacturing. Other things, yeah. But material science is just not limited to that one. It's also beyond that one you have to think about how you're going to pack your medicines. So let's say I'm going to pack something on aluminium foil or plastics. It has to be more sustainable because you cannot use all the materials. Not just sustainability, you have to also think about whether that packing will withstand any kind of really kind of hot inhibit conditions of some countries or really cold and like other countries. So you have to think about like packing materials. It has to be not permeable, it has to be like impermeable, it has to be like childproof. There are a lot of uh, even though it's child proof, but then when you talk about old age patients, it should be like really easy for them to operate. Also, mm-hmm. so, yeah. so yeah, so opposite end. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> so I mean, I just wanted to highlight that it's just not only product design, but it's also beyond yeah. that one, and that's all is being considered when you think about when you design a pharmaceutical product.
1: It's crazy how science and material science principles just infiltrate every part of the design process. There from just making the drug to how you get it to the place where it can actually be taken by the patients. That's really, that's really fascinating. And so we talk a, a good amount about computational material science on this show as well, just because computing is the name of the game these days. And, you know, we're <laughs> doing this recording over the internet as well. So, I mean, it's the there we live in, but, you know, our researchers in this space looking into creating a, a comprehensive computational framework to combine molecular materials and process models required for these pharmaceutical manufacturing approaches. And what would this look like and how would this close some of the gaps that are currently present in the industry in any part of
0: it? As far as I know, there has been a lot of computational work being done in the pharmaceutical space, especially when you talk about process engineering also, where people have been simulating using, I'm not really a good expert in that one, but I know that people have been using computational fluid dynamics to like to see how the coating happens or like when you're coating using some different as and also i have seen some papers where they have been like trying to simulate how the tablet making process and try to understand how the like tablet how the power compress and you know that tablet shapes are like really different it could be triangular it could be oblique it could be oval it could be capsule shape there are different shapes that are involved like in making tablets. So people have been like trying to simulate those things and try to understand. Mm -hmm. So as far as I know, yeah, there there has been a lot of computational tools and the simulations that had been used a lot in the pharmaceutical industry to close that gaps or maybe to get a better understanding. And one of the benefit I see using those is that you don't have to use the materials a lot. That's going to save a lot of time, also Mm -hmm. the resources, and it will bring down the expenses also. So, and that's like one way how you can also bring down the cost of the, of your products also.
2: Great. Cause if you can reduce the number of physical experiments, then you're also saving on time and in addition to money. So that's even more potential there for the computational science
0: in yeah, this and, area. Yeah. And apart from the computer science. There's also a big interest nowadays, if you go through the LinkedIn also, that people have been talking about artificial intelligence, data sciences, because now we have a tableting process which goes like really fast with a few thousand tablets per hour. So one of the way to have better control is using the pack tools, which is is also known as process analytical tools. So you have a lot of sensors, it could be infrared or Raman that are being like put in different positions that are monitoring your powder flow, or contain uniformity. So you you generate a lot of database, and -hmm. then you need to analyze those database also. So that has been a great interest in data sciences and trying to do the predictions or get better control of your process using or maybe feeding those data into artificial intelligence.
2: Can you talk about the predictions a little more? What kind of things could you predict by doing this Raman spectroscopy during this batch processing?
0: Well, not specifically with the Raman, but at least I can talk about the crystallography. Is that- um, there has been some papers like from late 80s or 90s also where people have been looking at the crystal structure and the molecular interactions between them. And they have been trying to link those properties with the mechanical properties. So, and that's where the analogy always comes into picture. And one of the most common term is being used in organic crystal is called slip planes. So when you talk about slip planes, where you have like a more like structure where the, where, the slide, where the planes can slide over each other, it's quite well-known in the pharma that such organ crystals have good plasticity. And it's often associated with the good tabletting properties also. But when you have kind of raw mesh-like structure, like tetragonal or like in carbon, where it will resist the deformation, then yes, you, you know that it's not going to make tablets. And one of the technique has been used nowadays is called nano-indentation also. I think it's quite often used in metallurgy called macro indentation indentation creep test.
1: Of note, micro-indentation tests are a rapid method to study the mechanical behavior of
0: materials. So, mm-hmm. th- as I told before, yeah. There are a lot of uh, like techniques or characterization tools that has been borrowed from the different fields and has been utilized. Of course, the, the way the materials, the inorganic, behave is completely different than the organic crystals, because organic crystals are really complex with a lot of interactions. So data interpretation would be different. But yeah, the principles are more or less the same. And those principles have been used to kind of classify different materials. And based upon that classification, you can choose or you can predict some of the material properties.
1: So it yeah. sounds like this uh the computational science side of this will really allowed for us to tame this complicated beast that is, you know, classifying and understanding all these complex organic crystals that you have to deal with in your work.
0: Yeah, and also when I talk about polymorphism, there has been always a growing interest about the crystal structure predictions. So it's an international body called IUCR. I don't remember the frequency, but they have kind of blind tests and people participate and they just give you a molecule and then you have to predict how many polymorphs it can have.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> so that's a challenge given out and people, they develop their own kind of algorithms and softwares where they can do the crystal structure predictions. Wow. And from that, you can compare with your experimental that, like, okay, I got this many polymorphs. And that could be something like more stable polymorph because there has been some literature reports. If you, you can go back in the literature and see that there has been instances that people have been working on specific polymorph. It was in the market and then suddenly a stable polymorph came out in the product. And the consequences was that like maybe the tablet broke or it has, doesn't have good solubility or it doesn't absorb well in the body, yeah. and mm-hmm. it has to be recalled. So that's why crystal mm-hmm. structure prediction has become like a really uh, kind of important tool in the pharma industry also. And once we have the crystal structure, and then we talk about crystallography, then at least we have some basic knowledge in the literature that if we have certain structure properties, then yeah, material should be having this manner. And that's how like people have been harnessing those knowledge in the predictions. Mark, it's incredible
2: yeah. to me that you can, that there's so many factors that come into play when you have to figure out like the structure and just the effectiveness, the performance of a material in a specific application. So it's just crazy to me that that we're progressing towards achieving more of that. And just with this c- modeling, machine learning and in artificial intelligence, that's all super cool.
0: So, I mean, if, if I want to like summarize this, like all those interlinks between them, you can think about a material science data head run. I think mm-hmm. it, it should be there in, in, in your field yeah. also. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we've seen it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I love that one material science tetrahedron, specifically where I like to put the crystal structure on the top. And you yep. have like the three legs, it's kind of like properties, processing, and it's all interlinked. You cannot separate right. one from each other. No. And once you have like a better understanding about the performance, processing, and properties and structure, I mean, that gives you a really robust process. Well, uh, it's it's really challenging to have a complete understanding because there are certain factors you cannot understand at all. You cannot explain. But that's how like I would see like completing material science with a hydrant would give you like, a really a nice um, understanding of the materials.
2: So... We kind of wrap up our show in in the same way with each episode, but we found it super effective. And so I want to ask you, Pratik, I'd like you to bottom line it for us. So what three things should our listeners take away from this discussion of material science and biopharmaceuticals?
0: Well, first thing is that the pharmaceutical industry is really diverse and it's just not only one material science application. It varies a lot. Yeah. It could be from metallurgy to rubbers to plastics. So it has a really wide application. It's always evolving. And it has been uh, always pushing the boundaries of the science. And you have to really push the boundaries of science to understand the material properties and introducing different characterization techniques. And one thing which I personally always reflect is that I'm really passionate about crystals, working in the lab, taking like fantastic pictures. But one thing I always I realize is that All of my, this work uh, is touched upon by thousands of patients. So whatever, even like I'm passionate about my research or like I do publish work or do some like great science, but deep down, yeah, it's touching the lives of the team, like many patients. And that makes me really happy.
2: So for our listeners, if they want to reach you and maybe ask you a question or two, what's the best way to connect with you?
0: Yeah, I'm always available on the LinkedIn. So just feel free to drop me a message and I'd be happy to yeah, answer you. Cool. Yeah,
2: we'll drop that in the show notes below. Well, thank you so much Prateek for, for joining our show. We definitely learned a lot with you digging deep into the pharmaceutical space and just your, your material science background and combining those two areas for us. We really appreciate your
0: time. Yeah, it was really a great pleasure, like talking with you guys. And yeah, it was really a good, good talk.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It's a Material World podcast. We look forward to releasing our next episode in two weeks. Please subscribe to our podcast feed in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode and tell your friends about our show on social media. But until then, if you want to hear from us, we are on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Follow or subscribe to us on those platforms to keep up to date with all things It's Material Worlds between our episodes. Links to our social media sites will also be in the show notes. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. We're just two college students just getting started out with a podcast, and we really want to grow this show with our community's input. You can send us feedback through messaging on any of our social media sites. We also love to hear your comments through reviews on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to also provide feedback by messaging us directly on LinkedIn, either to Puneet Upadhyay or Thomas Miller. But until then, take care and stay healthy.